Well, good morning, church. Excited for us to dig into God's Word this morning. We're going to be in Isaiah 6. And I've heard it said that if you can't preach from Isaiah 6, you probably shouldn't preach at all. So I've been uh, excited for this text because it has a lot to say to each of us about calling. Uh, Last week, we heard that wonderful message from Pastor Nate Irwin about the greatest ambition anyone can have, the ambition to preach Christ to those who have never heard his name. Now, you may be wondering, though, how does that fit in with your life? And I hope Isaiah 6 will help us. Before we dive into such a weighty text, it's fitting that we ask the Lord's blessing. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the grand vision it grants us of your glory. You are a God worthy of expending all that we have to have just a brief glimpse of your beauty and your majesty. Your grace is all satisfying. There is none like you. And there's nothing we can do except obey your command when you call us. Oh, Father, would you do these things in our hearts as we ponder what your word has to say for us and what you're calling us to do. We pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. In 1906, there was a man named James. He had just graduated with an engineering degree from Imperial College in London. He was a musician, a concert musician, part of the upper crust of British society. He had his whole life in front of him. He was already a success by most measures. And yet one day as he was walking across campus, his life changed forever. Another student came across and handed him a few slips of paper. It turned out it was a tract. Now at first he was a little surprised because he was a Christian. Someone was handing a Christian a tract, but it wasn't that sort of tract. It was a tract to convince Christians that God was calling all of us to be a part of the Great Commission, that the call to go and make disciples was a calling for you if you're in Christ. Something within that flimsy paper and the message it carried resonated in James's heart. And he left behind his promising career and went to some people that knew how to send missionaries, found some missionaries, including C.T. Studd and others, and pretty soon found himself far from England in China. Not long after that, he made his way to the frontier of missions in his day, to the southwest of China, to the, to the mountain rugged area, and found a people there called the Lisu, a people who had never heard the name of Christ a people worth spending your life to reach. That was the story of James O. Frazier. There's been biographies written about him. He's an incredible brother in the Lord. One day when you get to heaven, you should talk to him. Now, I don't know about you. I hear wonderful stories like that about people boldly taking the call to go to heart. And I have a mixture of reactions in my heart. And one Part of me swells with pride, knowing that there are Christians that do such hard things. At the same time, I have this feeling, yeah, but that's not me. I couldn't do that. 
Uh, maybe last Sunday, as Pastor Nate was preaching, he was talking about this call to go and this greatest ambition of all. Maybe you found yourself thinking similar thoughts. Could God really call me to something like that? And if not, what, what is my role in the Great Commission to sending people to reach the unreached peoples of the world? Well, I think Isaiah 6 is an especially fitting passage for this because it's a, a calling of someone to an uncomfortable sort of ministry. The calling of a prophet to carry a message that will not be well received. And yet, along the way, God provides everything needed for Isaiah to respond to this calling. Provides him with a vision of his glory and the joy of his grace. And finally, even, yes, that calling to go. Uh, this morning, my aim is simple. It is to convince you that God is calling you to be a part of his great commission. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Will I answer God's uncomfortable call on my life? Uh, we'll move through the passage in three sections. These are the three steps that Isaiah went through and we'll go through right through them with him to hear God's calling. The first is seeing God's glory. That's in verses one through three, seeing God's glory. Second, in verses four through seven, to be saved by God's grace. Saved by God's grace in four through seven. Then finally, to be sent by God's call in eight through 13. Sent by God's call. Let's begin in that first section, seeing God's glory. Verse 1 tells us that we are in a disappointing time in the history of God's people. We're told it's the year that King Uzziah died. Uh, if you take the time to go back on your own later and look in Kings or Chronicles, you'll see that this was uh, a point in Israel's history where the, the nation of Judah had had a series of really bad rotten kings. Uzziah looked like he was going to break that mold. He started off well. He did some reforms. He, he won some battles. God's people, for a time, seemed to be flourishing again. But like so many of the other kings, he started better than he ended. In his old age, he, he sinned greatly and experienced God's judgment. And now we come to the moment where he dies. And the kingdom of Judah is left with a bag full of questions. Is there ever going to be a good king? Can we even survive another series of bad ones? God's been preaching to us through the prophets about exile being on the horizon. Is this the end? Well, in the midst of that discouragement, God has a messenger, a man he's about to raise up. And he speaks as if answering the questions that are embedded in his heart through a vision. That vision is big enough to stretch his heart with God's very glory itself. Isaiah sees not just an earthly king, he sees the king himself, the heavenly king, the, the Lord of hosts upon his throne, and he's described in exalted, majestic language. He's high and lifted up on his throne. His, the train of the robe is so big, it fills the entire temple. This gigantic vision is meant to capture Isaiah's heart for him to see a God so glorious. It's as if he needs to stretch himself, just be able to take it all in. I have to imagine if Isaiah had the chance, 
he would have stand there gawking at God forever. Uh, have you had one of those moments where you see something jaw-dropping and you just, maybe for just a heartbeat or two, you just pause and your, your jaw goes slack and you just say, wow. You see the Grand Canyon standing on the rim. Or you go to the Great Wall of China and you, you see something humans made that goes off further than your eye can see and you just say, wow. Well, imagine if you saw the beauty of all beauties. The majestic thing that all the other majestic things in this world is about. The glorious king of heaven. That's what Isaiah saw. But he isn't allowed to just stand there, slack-jawed, satisfied with a vision. Because his vision is interrupted with something. Isaiah hears a song. That's what you see in verses 2 and 3. First, he sees these angels, these seraphim. That means literally burning ones. And they're described as having six wings, two covering their eyes, two covering the lower parts of their bodies, and two flying, uh, with two they're flying around God again and again. And as they do, they're crying back and forth in uh, a a duo song. That song goes like this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I I have to imagine that Isaiah's heart must have burned as he heard that heavenly song. As he heard the words, pure and beautiful, describing God as the pure and beautiful one, the holy one of heaven. As these angels again and again declared his worthiness to be praised, that even everything that is is so it can praise him down to the clouds and the rocks and the streams and each and every one of us. Again and again, these burning choir of angels sing God's praises. And I have to think that Isaiah longed to join him, to be able to blend his voice with theirs, to to have the fulfillment of his joy as he, he actually sings praise to God with this pure song. Have you had moments like that? Uh, Moments where maybe, as someone told me recently, the happiest, most joyful moments on this earth are when they're joining their songs with their Christians in their church to praise to God. Do you have even brief glimpses of just how glorious God is? Maybe in prayer. Uh, Maybe as you remember some particularly rich bit of scripture where it's as if you're, you're no longer here. You're, you're in a, a more glorious, majestic place, even the very throne room of heaven. Brothers and sisters, those are the glimpses of how God is, of the glorious, holy king of heaven. And now ask yourself, how much of your imagination is captured with God like that? Uh, think of what happens when you end up with a half an hour free unexpectedly in your, your day. How do you, what does your mind immediately go to of what you're going to use that half an hour on? Or if you're driving by yourself and you're not really thinking about anything, what do you find yourself thinking about? To be able to answer the call of God, an uncomfortable call, your heart needs to be expanded with a vision of his glory like Isaiah had. 
We need to dream of one day gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, of knowing that true satisfaction is seeing him face to face. And that day is coming because it's been promised by our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Isaiah's journey to a call starts with this vision. And I I have to think that if he had the choice, he would have just stayed there, watching or singing until his flesh gave way. But it turns out this was not a joyful moment for Isaiah. And in fact, there is something keeping him from the joy of this moment. And that is his sin. Which brings us to the second step along the way. Saved by God's grace in verses 4 through 7. Saved by God's grace. In verses 4 through 5, the scene turns startlingly alarming. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah comes to the realization that he is not welcome in God's presence, and he is not yet fit for his service. The implications of it are pretty easy for him to see. That wonderful, angelic, burning song starts to reverberate to such a degree that the very foundations of the threshold of the temple start shaking underneath him. Smoke fills the sanctuary as if to show that the way to God is closed off. Isaiah puts these two things together and understands what's happening. God is holy and he is not. And that is a very big problem. God's holiness demands purity for those that come into his presence. And Isaiah is an unclean man. The focal point of his uncleanness is his very mouth. And he comes from a people that are the same. Rather than this being a moment of joy, this is the moment of his undoing. And if the scene ended here, frankly, this would be a very discouraging part of Scripture. It would show us the very glory of God as being something cut off from us, unattainable for sinners like you and me. But God does something, something that Isaiah could never earn or do himself. God, in his grace, saves this man who he will call as a prophet Uh, He sends an angel, one of the seraphim, he goes to the altar and grabs one of the burning coals with a tongue and brings it over to him. And and then in an action that if it were happening in earthly terms and not in a heavenly vision would be horrific, he puts that red hot coal on Isaiah's lips. Instead of ruining and burning that flesh, instead it cleanses him. He's told his guilt is gone. And that his sins have been atoned for. God in his grace has saved this miserable sinner. And now he will be welcome in God's presence. And fit for God's service. Now brothers and sisters as heart expanding as this vision of God's glory and his grace is. I hope you don't come away from this thinking Man, that's wonderful that Isaiah got to see a vision like that, but I'll, I'll probably never have a heavenly vision to encourage me to, call, to answer the call of God. 
But brothers and sisters, do you know if you're a Christian that you have experienced that same heart-expanding glory and joy-filling grace if you've put your faith in Jesus? Uh, John told us in John 12, 41, that when Isaiah spoke these words, he was seeing the glory of Jesus. And John also told us in John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Uh, that means when you understand the depths of your own sins, that God is holy and you are not. Uh, when you realize that this is such a problem that you are undone, that you deserve nothing but judgment from God, and yet you find grace, grace sufficient for all of your sins through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for you. When you find the new life that Jesus purchased for you by rising from the dead, and the joy as he comes and lives in your heart, you find the same things that Isaiah saw in his vision. You see, the glory of God big enough to expand your heart, and the grace of God satisfying enough to fill it up with joy. It's so important for you to know that if you're in Christ, you are fit for God's presence. And you are ready for his service. I used to see these commercials on TV for the Marines. Uh, and I have to confess, I really liked those commercials. You know, people in helicopters going down ropes and uh, these strong-looking guys with determination in their eye. And they're doing a worthy thing, right? Defending our country. And then there's the tagline. The few, the proud, the Marines. I often thought to myself, wow, I'm so glad those guys do that, but I could never do that. I don't have big muscles. I'm certainly not all that brave. Now, I, I have to admit that my time being a Christian, I, I've come to think that many of us think of the call to go as a missionary the call to carry the, the message of Christ to people who never heard, they think of it as something for some super class of Christians. The few, the proud, the missionaries. That God must drop them out of heaven with some special gifting and gear that we could never have. Uh, maybe you've even entertained the thought of going overseas as a missionary and, and you found yourself quickly in your own heart rebutting that idea. Maybe it's reminding yourself of something you tried in faith and it didn't go well. Or, or maybe it's the whisper of the enemy saying, you think God could use you? Do you remember that sin that he saved you from? Do you, do you remember the ways that you have failed to live up to your promises to God? God could never use you. Maybe the list of failures in your life the list of sins you have not overcome, the, the list of weaknesses that are so obvious to, to certainly to yourself, but maybe to others, makes you think that God could never use someone like you. But it's been well said. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God is in the business of using weak, flawed, yes, even sinful instruments like you and me. He does it every single day and has been doing it for thousands of years. 
We don't have the authority to tell God, there's no way you could use me. Because God's already proven that he can use people exactly like you. Isaiah, he saw a vision of God's glory and he experienced the joy of God's grace that saved him from his sins. But there's one final step that he experienced and we do need to also. And that is to be sent by God's call in verses 8 through 13. Isaiah hears another voice. This time it's the Lord himself. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? God announces his attention. His intention. He wants someone to be his messenger. Who's it going to be? And Isaiah, with heart expanded by God's glory and filled with his grace, how could he do anything else but say, Here am I, Lord. Here I am. Send me. He quickly volunteers. Now I have to wonder if Isaiah knew exactly what he was signing up for, if he would have been as quick to do so. Because it turns out that Isaiah's calling was a very uncomfortable one. God tells him what his mission is going to be in verses 9 through 13. He is going to be a preacher. But he's going to go and preach to people that don't want to hear it and who won't respond to his message. Listen to how God describes it. He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, turn and be healed. God tells them, here's what you're going to do, Isaiah. You're going to go. And you're going to preach to some people that don't want to hear what you're going to say. And the longer you preach, the more they are going to reject your message. Isaiah puts the dots together, connects the dots here. He says, uh, well, hold on, God. Uh, how long is this going to go on? Surely at some point it's going to get better, right? Verse 11. I said, how long, O Lord? And God's answer until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. God says, Isaiah, you're going to get up and you're going to go and you're going to preach. You're going to preach and you're going to preach until people stop listening. Then you're going to preach and you're going to preach until the walls are torn down and their houses are ground to dust. And you're going to preach and you're going to preach until they are all dragged off into exile and there's no one left in the land. And even when it feels like maybe just a few of them are going to survive it. Well, there's just another round of it waiting around the corner. By the end of it, it's going to be like a tree that got chopped down. And even the stump that's left gets burned after it's all done. A dry, dead hunk of wood still rooted to the ground. That's what your ministry is going to be. Now, that's not a very encouraging message to carry. It is an uncomfortable calling. But I'm thankful that Isaiah was a man that was willing to accept his uncomfortable calling. Uh, we know this from the fact that we have this book and the rest of his prophecies. We know from tradition that he preached 
And he preached until people stopped listening. That he preached and he preached even when the, there weren't many victories. And ultimately he preached and he preached until as tradition says it, they took his very life. A people worth spending your life on. That's how Isaiah viewed God's people, the people of Judah. Now, brothers and sisters, I am very glad to be able to tell you that you have a much better message than the message Isaiah carried. You have the good news of the gospel of Jesus. You get to carry, yes, the bad news that God is holy and we are not, but you carry with you the good news that God has made a way for sinners to be saved if they will repent of their sins and trust the sacrifice of Jesus on their behalf. Uh, you get to carry the message that, yes, tears down, but also that builds back up, that raises people to life who are spiritually dead. We have such a better message than Isaiah because Jesus came back from the dead and told us to take the good news that he is Savior and Lord to the ends of the earth. And even as I say that, though, even as it is a better message, realize it is still an uncomfortable calling that God has for each and every one of us this morning. Whether he calls us to go or to send, Jesus told us as much. He told us that we need to be willing to give up even those, those relationships that are most dear to us. Our fathers, our mothers, our children, our friends. That we need to be able to leave behind our jobs and our houses, everything we hold dear in this world for the sake of him and his gospel. That he, what he calls us to is an uncomfortable calling. I've heard it said, and I think it's true, that there are only three options if you're a Christian. When it comes to the Great Commission, you are either called to go, or you are called to send, or you are in disobedience. Whichever option you choose, it will be uncomfortable. I pray you would choose the faithful ones, and the discomfort would be a holy discomfort. Now, uh, Pastor Nate said last week that in a, any church, not everyone should go. And I, I realize that. Not each and every one of you should pick up and pack up and go and move around the world to preach Christ to people who have never heard. And in fact, the ratio that Pastor Nate gave was 95% should send and 5% should go. Because it takes the 95 to send the 5. But, I, you know, I may not have been a math major in college, but in a church of about 300, 5%, well, that's more than just two or three families. So I have to wonder, is God stirring maybe in your heart this morning? Might God be calling one of us to pick up and go and answer his uncomfortable calling? Friend, maybe it's something that you've thought about before and have been trying not to think about because of how uncomfortable it is. I'm here this morning to tell you to, to not shy away from it, to take a step toward it. Uh, whether that be a time of prayer and fasting as you seek the Lord's will, or maybe articulating it for the first time to someone you look, look up to in the faith. That if God is calling you to go, that friend... It will be a worthy endeavor to step forward in faith 
whatever that first step might be. If you don't know where to start, you can come ask one of your pastors. We would love to, to help you evaluate a calling and figure out what a step toward the mission field might be. Now, I have been praying that that might happen, that the flags behind me that are currently stand at the number of three might be joined with others in the years ahead, and that God might raise someone up from amongst our church and send them out. Up until now, God has not answered that prayer, at least not yet. But I'm going to keep praying. I hope you will pray with me that someone we hold near and very dear might hear that call and answer it, saying, Lord, here I am. Send me. Now realize that that is also an uncomfortable thing for those of us who send. And I, that's the vast majority of us in the room this morning. Every time we take the step to send, there is a cost to pay. There are finances that must be set aside, things that we don't spend on ourselves, that must instead be sent to provide for those who go. There is time and effort to pray. There's intentionality to encourage. And there's even endurance needed to stick with our commitment to send someone. As I've been talking with people about this this week, I've come to see that there's a common pitfall that many Christians called to send fall into. And that is that very often they have trouble releasing those that are called to go. It's unfortunate, but there is a price to be paid when you sever relational bonds. It's hard to say goodbye to a dear friend. It's harder to say goodbye to a son or a daughter or a grandchild. And lamentably, many times Christians actively play defense when they get the inkling that someone in their life might be called. They forbid it in extreme cases. They use guilt trips and more subtle ones. They don't wholeheartedly encourage and support. It's all too common. Brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be that way. Part of our uncomfortable calling, if we are called to send, is to release and to do so with joy. As I've been thinking about this this week, I've tried to imagine my own kids. They're still more than a decade away from being able to answer a call like this. But what if they one day came to me and said, Dad, God's calling me to go and move to the other side of the world. Would my heart be ready for that moment? I was reminded of some of the language in the Sunday morning where we dedicated our children to the Lord. This was something that before the Lord, I said that I would do. Do you now dedicate your children to the Lord who gave them to you, surrendering all worldly claim upon their life and the hope they will belong wholly to Jesus Christ? That is an uncomfortable calling, brothers and sisters, to release those you love the most, to do it in joy knowing that them following the leading of the Lord Jesus is right for them, and you following the leading of the Lord Jesus to release them is right also. I'm praying that my heart would be ready should the Lord grant me 
that trial one day. I pray that you would pray the same thing for your children, should he call you to that. Now, brothers and sisters, let me make it as practical as I can for how, if you are called to send, you can be faithful in this calling. Uh, the first would be, avail yourself of the resources to pray. Uh, we've also already mentioned the prayer cards. You can pick those up uh, on your way out. We intentionally try to update those regularly so you can see your missionaries and have an updated list of prayer concerns. You can pray for them. Put them on your refrigerator stick them in your Bible, put them somewhere you'll see them regularly, and make a resolve before the Lord to pray for our missions partners, that you would be as faithful in sending as they have been in going. Uh, let also, I uh, want to invite you to our Barnabas prayer meetings. Uh, the next one's coming up on the 24th. That is a, a prayer meeting before church on Sunday, Oftentimes, the missionaries are actually present on Zoom, and you can spend time with other members of our church praying for the missionaries. It's a good way to keep yourself accountable. It's also a great way to encourage others. The next one's on the 24th at 7.30 in the morning. If you need to take a first step in this area, that would be a great one. Carve that out Sunday the 24th at 7.30. A second way is through your finances. Ask yourself, Am I living up to my calling as someone who sends in the way I am apportioning what the Lord has given me? Third is encouragement. Texts and emails and, uh, as John mentioned, vision trips, going to visit them face to face and to encourage them in person. What a great way to be a sender. Then finally, Endurance. Don't make this just a flash in the pan, something you do for a year and then forget about. Stick with them for the long haul. I've heard again and again from missionaries how encouraging it is when they have prayer partners and supporters that stick with them over decades. And by God's grace, they get to be a part of that ministry all the way around the other side of the world at times. Brothers and sisters, whether you are called to go or to send, it is an uncomfortable calling. It will cost you something. But if your heart has been expanded by a vision of God's glory and filled with his grace, how can you do anything but say, here I am, Lord, send or use me? I told you about Brother James Fraser. He was faithful to his calling to go to the Lisu people in China. And that was a worthy endeavor, a people who had never heard the name of Christ, a people worth spending your life on. And that's precisely what he did for over three decades. He translated the Bible, he evangelized, he discipled, and he planted churches, and one day he was buried among them. What I came to find out is that behind the man who went was someone who sent. You see, James was from a believing family. His dad was not the sort of spiritual leader in the family that he should have been, so his mom picked up the slack. Her name was Annie. Sounds like she was an incredible woman. She was high society in England, but she was on fire for the Lord. She made sure her kids were discipled and in church and had lots of opportunities to get to know missionaries whenever they came to town. Even as she wanted her children to do well and to push themselves, she had a secret ambition for them. 
that they might go and leave her behind and carry the message of Christ around the world. She didn't tell any of her kids this until long after James had been out of country and gone at a time when there was no Zoom or email. But it turned out, since they were little, she had been praying this prayer. Oh, Father, would you take one of my children? Would you send them to carry the name of Christ to people that have never heard his name? Brothers and sisters, for every one that has went, there are many that have sent. Whatever God's calling you to, would you be faithful to that call? Would you answer him with a heart filled with his grace and expanded by his glory? And would you spend your life on something worth spending it on? Let's pray.